Please listen carefully. Psych Essentials is a show about learning psychiatry. It's fun and educational, but should not be taken as medical advice or opinion. So kick back and try not to worry about those glaring ego deficits. We like you anyway. Hey James. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Today we are going to jump right into it as a continuance from our last episode. If you haven't listened already, take a listen to episode 7. We're talking about the psychiatric interview. We're going to start by going through all of the major parts. And like we said last time, we're going to go in a lot of depth. You may not need to ask all of these questions for every single patient, but I do think it's worth going over them to get started. So let's kick it off. So to start, for this episode, we're going to review chief complaint, HPI, and psychiatric review symptoms, um, and the rest of the particular parts of the psychiatric history we'll talk about in the next episode. So to start, the chief complaint is generally, why is the patient here today? Um, And is often a direct quote from the patient. For example, um, to make a medical analogy, the patient is presenting to the ED with chest pain, their chief complaint is chest pain. Um, So if a patient is presenting to the emergency department with suicidal ideation, SI would be their chief complaint. Sometimes it's a direct quote from the patient as well, like I mentioned. Um, So next is the HPI. This is oftentimes kind of tricky for learners because it's difficult to know where to start. Um, But generally, I like to start really open-ended and let the the patient um, tell their story. So I like to ask things like, what brings you here today? How can I help you? And I find it helpful to think about the HPI in terms of story or narrative with the idea that they're presenting with an illness episode or an illness narrative that has led to the patient seeking help today. So to start for this episode, you'll wanna get a sense of what are the symptoms that they've been experiencing. Then, once you have a good sense of their symptoms, when did their symptoms start? That's the start of your narrative. And then since they've started, what's been their general course since their onset? Have they gotten worse? Have they gotten better? Have they stayed the same? Then you'll want to get a really good sense of what's, what was going on in their life, um, any major stressors that may have contributed to the start of these symptoms. Stressors are a huge thing to get a really good sense of um, in the psychiatric HPI. Could the stressors have precipitated this particular illness episode? Sometimes I'll say, what's been stressing you out recently? What's been really hard in your life? It's a nice casual way to ask about about stressors. Then you'll want to get a sense of how their symptoms have impacted their overall functioning. You know, just because you have symptoms doesn't mean that it's necessarily impacting their life. But typically, if they're presenting to care, it, it does suggest that they're, they've probably impacted their life in some way. So you might want to ask, like, dealing with all of this, how, how has work been going? Has this had any effect on relationships? How have you been coping with this? Kind of all of those questions you can use to get a sense of how it's impacted their life. And then if you don't already have a good sense of this by now, um, the why now is an important question to ask. And then if this particular person has had the same type of illness episode before, might be helpful to um, get a better sense of what their previous illness episodes have been like. 
but you don't necessarily need to do like an exhaustive review of every single episode during the intake. Like you gotta get a really good sense of their current episode, but then it might also be helpful um, to generally get a sense of how long previous episodes have last, what helped it to resolve, that sort of thing. As you're talking, I'm struck because I'm thinking about from a medical perspective, the classic OPQRST acronym. Mm. And I do think that it fits in psychiatry as well. Yeah. I think Why don't we ab- go through it? I think about onset. When did the, your symptoms really start? When did you start feeling depressed? I think about what has provoked this? What are the stresses, stressors in your life that's made it worse? Can you tell me about the quality? What does it feel like to you to feel like you have things like you're hearing voices i ask about how it's radiated into other parts of their life like you said how has this impacted your kids what's it like with your family i ask about severity how much is this bugging you you can even ask on a scale of one to ten how much it's affected their ability to work or spend time with loved ones and i'll ask about timing like you said really pin someone down when did this start when was the last time that you remember not feeling depressed? Yeah, so OPQRS is not just for pain. So depending on the symptoms the patient mentions, this might prompt you to ask more follow-up questions to kind of guide diagnosis. So for example, if someone states that they're really depressed, that'll prompt you to screen more thoroughly for depression and you'll go into SIGI caps, ask about suicidality. So you'll often pull these follow-up questions from your psychiatric review symptoms and include them in your HPI if it's pertinent. Great point. And I think that leads really nicely into some of the major psychiatric symptoms that you should review. So since we were just talking about it, why don't we start with depression? James, do you want to run through Siggy caps? I'm going to run through them fast and maybe we can break them out a little bit. Okay. Sleep, interests or anhedonia, guilt, energy, concentration, appetite, psychomotor slowing or agitation and suicidality or a desire of not wanting to be alive. Right. Let's break them down a little bit because those are some categories, but I, Lindsay, I'm wondering what words you use to actually ask people about these. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a variety of ways to ask about it, but, um, for sleep, I might just generally ask like, how have you been sleeping recently? Do you feel like you're well rested when you wake up in the morning? This is a nuance. Sometimes I will jump from sleep, which is my number one, to appetite because I feel like those are just easier questions for people to mm-hmm. to kind of get a sense of trust with you. Mm-hmm. So after they answer that, I'll say, how have you been eating recently? How's your appetite? How's your energy? Mm-hmm. Are you able to concentrate on watching TV or reading books? What do you like to do during the day? Have you been able to keep doing that? Man, if you, once you've been feeling down, do you feel guilty about this? Do you feel responsible? How's your body been? Do you feel like you're able to keep thinking at the same rate that you have? Are other people noticing that you're thinking really fast or really slow? Throughout all of this, have you thought about not wanting to be alive? Has suicide crossed your mind? Yeah, and sometimes I like to normalize these questions while I'm asking them. Like sometimes when people feel really sad or depressed, they'll start to feel really hopeless and and worthless and they'll have an overwhelming sense of guilt. Has this happened to you? Um, That way it kind of like normalizes these experiences and then like kind of offers it to the patient. Like, have you experienced this? 
That's a great point. And I think it can make people feel less alone. And even that can be therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about suicide. What sorts of things might you want to know? So to ask about suicide, sometimes you can start with a question like, when things get really down or low, um, have there ever been any moments where you'd rather be dead? Or where you'd rather not be alive? And then I'll ask people, are you having those thoughts right now? Mm-hmm. Have you had them recently? Right. And I'll draw a distinction between having these thoughts and wanting to actually act on them. Right. And that, what you're getting at there is the intent. A lot of people have suicidal ideation, but it's there all the time and they don't act on it. In other words, it's passive. Um, but people with more active suicidality have intent. In other words, they want to act on these thoughts. Then it's important to ask somebody a little bit more if they do have this active thoughts. For instance, have they thought about a plan of how they would hurt themselves? Have they taken steps or measures Mm -hmm. to be successful in that plan? And have they attempted to hurt themselves recently? Exactly. Part of what you're getting at is rehearsal behaviors, which are very concerning when you're doing a suicide assessment. And then clearly any actual self-harm behavior is very concerning. Exactly. It ramps up on this kind of continuum. It's very important to ask people about access to means. And by means, I mean ways that people could hurt themselves. I'm thinking about if somebody has stockpiled pills, if somebody has access to knives that they were thinking about hurting themselves, and firearms are by far and away the most common, most lethal ways that people hurt themselves. And so asking somebody, do you have a gun at home? Do you have access to firearms? And then similarly, when you're asking about SI, this is a safety concern. And I also regard homicidal ideation as also being a safety concern that you should ask about in the psychiatric review of symptoms. And it sort of follows the same general um, uh, algorithm as suicidal ideation. You know, is it present? Is it active? Is there intent? Is there a plan? Access to means. Similar structure. Absolutely. Let's move on to mania. So with mania, you'll want to screen with dig fast. So James, do you want to run through this one? Real quick again, distractibility, irritability, grandiosity, flight of ideas. A is for an increase in activities or goal-directed behavior and or psychomotor agitation. S is for three things, sleeping, usually decreased sleep, Sex, risky sexual behavior, and spending in an excessive manner or an unusual manner. And T is for increased talkativeness. Lindsay, how do you start asking people about these? Yeah, I don't usually follow this dig fast algorithm directly. Typically, I like to screen for mania by asking... Has, you know, um, has there ever been a time period where you had a distinct change in mood where you either felt on top of the world or noticeably more irritable that lasted for, for days? And then if they say yes to that, I'll ask them next about sleep during that time period. And specifically, um, did they have decreased need for sleep? Did they have so much energy that they didn't need to sleep? Because sometimes patients will say, oh, yeah, there was a time where I was feeling really irritable and I wasn't sleeping, but they're talking more about insomnia and not actual true decreased need for sleep. And then if 
they screen yes to those questions, I'll ask a little bit more about how, what their thoughts feel like. I want to clarify that pulling an all-nighter in college and then crashing the next day is not a decreased need for sleep. Not a manic episode. No, because you felt tired the next day. Mania is when you stay up all night painting your room, you sleep for 30 minutes, and then you keep painting because you are so much energy. Right, so you have the increasing goal-oriented activity there with the painting. You'd have decreased need for sleep, not sleeping tons of energy. Um, so those are some of the key features of mania. We'll talk more about bipolar disorder and mania in a future episode, but as a general screener, ask the, I think the key things are the decreased need for sleep and then sustained change in mood. This isn't something that lasts for a few hours, lasts days. Next is psychosis. Now I do want to refer you back to episode four, where we talked a lot about different components of delusions and psychosis. But Lindsay, what questions might you ask somebody on a psychiatric review of symptoms? So I would ask about specific types of hallucinations. So auditory hallucinations and visual hallucinations. Um, For people with a known history of psychosis, I'll just ask them directly, like, are you hearing voices right now? Um, But some for people who don't have a known history of psychosis again i might try to normalize it in the context of their presenting um, illness episode for example if it's depression so so i'll say something like sometimes when people get really sad and depressed their mind will start to play tricks on them they'll start to hear voices that other people don't hear has anything like that been happening to you recently it's a way to make something less scary or less frightening if it has been happening to them. Exactly. And I, I similarly, I ask about visual hallucinations in a similarly like normalized context. Um, and I might ask about it in a, in a way like this. Um, are you, recently, have you seen anything that other people um, haven't noticed or haven't seemed to appreciate? Mm-hmm. And how much you ask about delusions? So delusions, it depends on the delusion. So for paranoia, I might ask something like, recently, have you felt like people are out to hurt you or they're following you, people out to get you? Do you worry about people tracking you? Do you have concerns about the government, the FBI? Exactly. There's a number of ways to ask about it. There are a number of other types of delusions that, again, we talked about a lot. We also talked about some of the Schneiderian symptoms or ideas of reference, um, as well as things like thought insertion, thought blocking, thought withdrawal. Let's talk about anxiety. Yeah, so anxiety is an important thing to screen for in your psychiatric review of symptoms, and it can often take a, a few different flavors in terms of how it manifests for the patient. Um, Generally to start, I like to just ask generally if the patient has experienced any anxiety and see what they do with that because oftentimes they'll say, yes, I have, and then they'll explain more about what it is that they're experiencing. I think generally it's helpful to get a sense of if their anxiety symptoms represent a possible panic disorder. Are these panic symptoms? Um, and what would that be like? So that would be 
distinct episode where lasting minutes where a person feels like they're losing their mind, feels like they're dying, feel like the world's falling down on them. That's associated with um, specific somatic sensations like palpitations, sweating, flushing, shortness of breath, nausea. It can feel like a heart attack. And a lot of times people present to the emergency department thinking it is a heart attack. So if that's panic, what is generalized anxiety? So generalized anxiety is, as it sounds, much more generalized. So to screen for this, you might ask them, are you a warrior? Do you consider yourself to be an anxious person? So this is anxiety that is all pervasive, present all the time. Um, and the person is anxious about not just one thing or two things, but about everything in their life. And it's impacting their life um, in a pretty profound way. Absolutely. People with anxiety, because of their anxiety, tend to think about things a lot. And so it's fairly easy to ask, are you a nervous person? And people will gladly tell you about a lot of their anxieties and worry. I think this is a question where a topic where you can be pretty open-ended and let people tell you what their symptoms are. Now, we've talked about several different major categories, but I will say that this is not all-inclusive. There are several other types of psychiatric illnesses that you might screen for if the situation seems appropriate. For instance, uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder, PTSD. We see a lot in our patient population here, and you may as well. Certain personality disorders, eating disorders, particular phobias. These are all other things that you might think about if it seems particularly pertinent. Like I said, I don't ask all of these questions to every single person. Right, because otherwise the interview would be three hours long. Exactly. I do think, though, it's important, just like in medicine, I'm going to draw another parallel here, where there are sometimes pertinent negatives. So, for instance, if you were talking to somebody and they said, I feel really depressed, I think it's important to talk about the SIGI CAPS criteria and know where some are elevated and some are depressed. Similarly, if somebody has a history of depression, I think it's worth screening for mania as well because that gives you a sense of whether this could be a bipolar or unipolar type illness. Right, and and that diagnostic um, clarification impacts your treatment. Instead of SSRI, you might use a mood stabilizer, but we'll talk more about the psychopharmacology of uh, depression versus mania, bipolar depression in a future episode. So here we've talked about the first part of the interview, and I think a lot of the the bulk of the story that you're getting from your patient will fit into this section. How are they feeling? What brought them in? And what are the major symptoms that they've been having that might indicate that they have mental illness? Exactly. If they do screen positive for something like depression or mania, you'll want to ask additional clarification questions to get a better sense of if they truly meet criteria. So you'll pull from your psychiatric review of symptoms, drag that up into your HPI if you're presenting to an attending or writing a note. Next time, we'll talk more about the second half of the interview, which includes a lot of the history components in a slightly more structured and specific way so stick with us next time we'll go over that more thanks so much for listening you can always check out our website which is 
psychessentials.org. Leave us a review and let us know what you'd like to hear more of in the future in our comment box. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at Psych Essentials. Check us out on iTunes where you can always subscribe and get new episodes as they come out. You can rate, comment, and share Psych Essentials. Our music is by Javier Suarez off his album Tumbling Dishes. There's a link on our website. As always, people, places, and details are changed to protect confidentiality. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Till next time. Bye.